Welcome to another edition of DesignCast. Today we have a really special episode where John and Kurt from the IB Matters podcast were having a conversation with me and we had a very long conversation and each of us took bits of that conversation and converted that and edited that into various podcasts for each of our podcasts. So if you have time, go and check out these guys, IB Matters, which is a great podcast to listen to all about different things to do with IB. I hope you enjoy listening as much as I did participating. Take care. Between two different schools, been teaching eighth and ninth grade design ever since. Uh, our eighth grade design is a product design class, so very hands-on, making stuff. Just keep working the design cycle over and over. My ninth grade design class is a pre-engineering class, uh, semester long. Work on structural, like balsa wood bridges, robotics, pop bottle rockets, things like that. So those are the two classes I've been uh, creatively transitioning to online. And I think I got it figured out at least for the most part till the end of the school year. We'll see if we ever get back here this year, but yeah, there's some question. Tell. Yeah, some question about that. Uh, I think right now we've we're definitely out of out of school. We're doing online learning until is it May fourth? Yeah. Okay. My role right now is I've now been retired for almost five years from the Osseo School System, and I was a teacher for 37 years. Um, the last, you know, was a science teacher, mostly in high schools, but I was one of those rare old timers who could teach, could was was legal to teach <laughs> um, all sciences. So I, you know, in my career, I've taught earth science, life science, biology, chemistry, physics, astronomy, all those things. My favorites and the ones I kind of gravitated towards at the end were the high school chemistry and physics. Uh, and I loved always when I could have a section or two of astronomy, that was fun too. The last 10 years, I was the uh, IB coordinator at our building as a ninth or 10 through 12 high school. And I started with the MYP and authorized or worked through the authorization of the MYP. And then once that was authorized, moved straight to authorizing the DP. So I went through both those authorization visits as the coordinator, worked for about seven years as a DP coordinator, and then retired. The last uh, several years, uh, I was on the board of the Minnesota IB Association. And in 2015, when I retired from teaching, the position of the executive director came up. And in fact, Kurt was on the board at that time too. And uh, I applied for and got that job. And so it's really been interesting. I tell my friends, if you want to work, this is like the perfect retirement gig because I'm, you know, I work 20 hours a week. I'm the only paid person um, for the association. And my job is really, I describe to people, I work for the association. I work for the board and for the 65 IB schools we have in Minnesota. It's kind of a cyclical job in the fall or super busy with roundtables and workshops because people want to front load those things for the school year. Then we uh, started and we have had now a really successful run of the uh, of a summer conference that we've had, you know, anywhere from 350 to 500 people attend with the big name keynote, keynote speakers like, like Julie Stern and Ron Richard and other folks that are kind of well known in the education fields have come in and and then we run like I think last year we had 36 different workshops over two days and I would say that that's the keeps me busy this time of year and so we're still we're still not sure what's going to happen this year right Kurt yeah Fingers we'll crossed. see. Yeah, cross our fingers because, um, you know, with our schools being kind of in limbo and whether or not people will want to come to a, a big gathering like that to start the next school year may be questionable. So that's kind of what I've been doing. And um, actually, this podcast is something the board allowed me to start. It was kind of a passion project of mine. In fact, I started it at the end of April last year. It's been really fun for me. I really enjoy the connections and meeting people from around the world like Jason and others. It's interesting because many of my podcast uh, episodes and most of my, many of my 
my guests are now, you know, from around the world. The last several guests, uh, the other day was Bangladesh, and then the day before that was Germany, and uh, before that we were talking Costa Rica, you know, and so it's, it's, it's been interesting, and it's, you know, I started the podcast so that Minnesotans could, you know, have a repository of information, you know, if I look at the who's listening, you know, Minnesotans are about five or ten percent, mm-hmm. and the rest is from around the world. So, anyway, that's a long, a long explanation of what I'm doing right now. But so. sum that up nice. That's John. great Thank to you. hear. That's great to hear. I love to hear those journeys that folks take yeah. and and where they right. get them to where they are. So, um, why don't you guys talk a little bit about mm. um, the you know kind of what you guys do with Ibn and then this, mm. the teaching design? Why don't you talk about that a little bit <laughs> and for our listeners just. You know, and, and, and I would like, if you would, uh, Jason, since you mentioned the CP connection, I would guess that there's quite a bit of design work, oh, yeah. at least in the projects. Yeah, um, I'll give you a little introduction to our CP program because I, I listened to a few of your podcasts that you were talking about the CP and um, it's a little different where we are. Being that it's a, okay. an international school, our high school students almost 100% take part in the DP. So therefore, it's not a system where it's like a school within a school or a program within a school or anything like that. So we had a lot of students, mostly Korean students who were planning to study in the US. A lot of them were graduating, going to college, and within a short time finding they didn't have the skills that they needed to, you know, they've been, we have some successful students. I'm not trying to say that, but we had a lot yeah. of students who their life skills were just lacking. And so what we felt was we needed to have a program that could meet them in the middle and be much more flexible. And we also felt that a lot of the design and art offerings in the DP were not geared towards our students necessarily. There was a lot that, we, you know, filmmaking is quite huge right now in Korea, yeah. as you can only imagine. And we have a lot of students whose parents are in the entertainment industry. And so Mm -hmm. because of that, there's a lot of interest in podcasting and TV and and, and video and that kind of thing. So what we do, we actually, our students go off campus to do their career-related studies for the CP. And so they go to, a, we have a local campus called the Global Campus and the University of Utah is there. George Mason University has a campus there. SUNY has a campus. Ghent out of uh, Belgium has a campus there. The Fashion Institute of technology from New York is there as well. And so our students, we have a you know memorandum of understanding with them and our students go and they take classes there as part of their career-related studies. So they're doing filmmaking, they're doing engineering. So we have a civil engineering student and we have a couple of filmmaking students. This is our first year at the CP. And so because mm-hmm. of my work in the US as a CTE teacher before I was doing IB, it made sense for me to be the IBCP coordinator Got because it. I had a lot of that experience. And so also, we wanted to really focus on career pathways for our students. Yeah. And the career pathways clearly run through the design program, right? And so yeah. that's that's where the natural fits come in. And so therefore, we're looking at where is it we want our students to go, and we're backward mapping that through the design program, all the way down into nursery school, like all the way down to pre-K. We have a makerspace awesome. and all that kind of stuff. So we're, we're working through those pathways, and that's kind of why the CP was a perfect fit for us to do that. So this is our first cohort with four students. Uh, next year, we're looking at anywhere between 12 and 15 students. So there's a, a, mm-hmm. quite a bit of growth, uh, especially yeah. considering these parents, a lot of them have never heard of it before. <laughs> right. It's, it's, it's been a really fun journey and I'm really excited to be part of it. That's a really interesting model for yeah. a, a school center with all yeah. the different remote campus locations there. And, yeah. and that's all kind of in one geographical area? One setting, it's on the same campus. They share facilities. Wow. 
And now they're actually setting up a, a research center there from uh, USC, University of Southern wow. California. So oh, um, cool. it's, it, there's just so many Koreans who do go to the US to study. It just makes sense to have campus here where they can start their career and then transfer, or even our students from the US can come to Korea and have that experience as well. Very cool. Yeah, yeah I love it. Pretty cool. Interesting. So design teaching, why don't you, um, and Kurt, if you wouldn't mind just sharing a little mm -hmm. bit, uh, give us a kind of a thumbnail sketch of what your kids do. He mentioned a junior high for those that aren't familiar junior high in minnesota at least is defined as seven through nine as opposed to a middle school which usually Correct. starts sooner why don't you talk about kind of the like i said the thumbnail sketch of what you have the kids progress through in the three years of design in seventh grade in our school they have what's called the digital design class and our lang and lit teachers are the licensed group of teachers that lead that and they do all kinds of digital tools with them hmm. uh, and it's a year-long class eighth grade that's when myself and my colleague uh, Jeremy Reichel take over and we have a product design class that we have them design everything from allergen-free granola bars to wind turbine blades and printing them on 3D printers. We have a designing flexible spaces unit where they actually move the classroom furniture around. <laughs> yeah, let me just point, let me just stop you on that one. That was cool. And I, you and I last visited, you pointed out to me that this was the new design right here. Or was this, was that the last oh, yeah. day of that design? It was, it was the transition where the kids actually, you know, spent, projected what they thought would be best. And then the kids voted, right? Yep. Side, and, and then that's how the class was. You, you had to live with it. Yeah. Nice. So I have a, I have a new class layout till uh, <laughs> that time next year. I, I like that kind of change. So mm -hmm. I, I roll yeah. with that just fine. But so that's typically what we have them do in eighth grade. And then ninth grade, like I said, at my school, they have, they take design all years, at least 50 hours. But then in ninth grade, they take it as a semester class and they have like nine different choices of design, everything mm -hmm. from culinary arts to wood shop to my mm -hmm. class, pre-engineering, yearbook, movie making, they have photography. So really wide range mm -hmm. of design electives to take as a semester length class. So mm -hmm. with my class, I do structural engineering with balsa wood bridges, pop bottle rockets, and robotics. That's what I spend my time doing. <laughs> and you, you yeah. can see, you can hear the, the, the science teacher in that too, right? I mean, yeah. I, I've, I'm often, I'm sure, Kurt, you probably share this opinion that yeah. well, design is sort of the hub for all the other subjects, you know, well, and that, that everything sort of meets in the middle at design. And so I'm, I, I, all those projects you're talking about are ones that I've done and absolutely love going to those and doing those. And so, you know, though, here's the question, Kurt, how are you, how are you adjusting your project so that you can adjust to this online learning environment? Initially, I was quite dumbfounded. Like, how are we going to take this extremely hands-on class, both of them, eighth and ninth grade classes, mm -hmm. into an online environment? Having talked with a number of people, reading a lot, I tried to think about how to keep doing what I'm doing and not try to reinvent the wheel and come up with a new unit, like literally overnight. I decided at least for my eighth grade class, we're in sustainable energy unit right now. They are designing or will be designing solar arrays that are going to be at different angles, different directions, different shapes of arrays. They're going to be creating wind turbines on Tinkercad, the, mm -hmm. the blades, and then we would have been printing them out, but and then they use the printout to trace on cardboard, mm -hmm. and then they can shape the cardboard to make different fan blades. What I decided to do was to take all that equipment from school 
and bring mm. it home. So mm. I've modified it so that the students are still going to do the investigating. They're still going to plan their design. I'm going to be the one that creates it. Mm -hmm. I'm going to run different tests, mm -hmm. record their test results, share mm. their results with the students, and then they're going to be doing the evaluating. And then what would the next steps be? So, mm. and with pop bottle rockets also with ninth graders, I went in and got all the, the launcher and all the <laughs> tools to make that happen. So, so do your, my neighbors, your neighbors will probably be wondering do your neighbors all have ladders to reach their roof when the rockets yeah. end up on your neighbor's house? Yes, they do. <laughs> if not, I got one for them. Yeah, but, real, quick, um, real quick story. I, I did a summer school deal with, a, you know, I had taught a class in summer school for years that involved basically about design. And uh, we were doing pop bottle rockets and we happened to be in St. Paul and I-94 went right by our school. I can guess where this is going. A kid literally shot one over the oh. fence and I was doing everything I could to aim them into the neighborhood and into the fields. And this kid just wasn't paying attention. So don't, I never did that again. So, yeah, I was so scared. Anyway, you mean a ahead. high school kid didn't pay attention? You're kidding me. No. Middle, middle school kid. Yes. In fact, was Even better. Like a sixth middle grader. Yeah. The thing I just wanted to put out there was mm -hmm. I've read lots of things on Facebook and mm -hmm. people coming up with synchronous and asynchronous different methods. And I'm really probably going to be 98% asynchronous recording the, you know, the event. So they have a, something to go back and look, watch how it, something worked. But there's just a lot of kids don't have a predictable time to be on uh, mm -hmm. their sharing devices. Mm -hmm. There's just a lot of kids have a lot of things going through their minds other than just school. I'm just trying to keep it simple. Basically, it's a kind of a triage uh, mm -hmm, online mm -hmm. course. I mean, this isn't something that we took a year to plan and develop and right. philosophically mm -hmm. build and incorporate all kinds of tools mm -hmm. and let kids know on the front end before they signed up for it, what to expect and mm -hmm. all of that. This is just to get some learning occurring. Kids are just sitting around doing nothing. So yeah. So, I, so I just, Kurt, as a, as a practical matter, uh, what you're talking about is there's a lot of bandwidth being used by videos and things you're sharing. How, what's the platform mm -hmm. that you're using to share all this information so that kids can get at it at, you know, asynchronously? Well, I'm just going to use my phone to record the launches okay. and the different things. Mm -hmm. And then I'm going to mm -hmm. upload them to YouTube, just provide the YouTube link for mm -hmm. them to look at. Because I, I did just a little trial with my phone just recording some things just to see what the file size was. And like a 30 second video was 47 megabytes. I mean, oh. And if kid doesn't have high speed internet, that's going to be a yeah. pretty choppy video. So I think loading it up to YouTube would help, hopefully. So are the, are the kids doing these in teams so that you don't have a hundred of them or do you? Well, do you... they're going to be doing all the planning, investigating and planning individually. And then I'm going to have them submit their ideas onto a Google sheet. And then I'm going to provide a Google form that they go through and they'll vote on which one. I'm not going to make 25 different pop bottle rackets. <laughs> I'm going to make one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then, then they're going to submit ideas for changes. Mm. I'm going to make one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So well, that, yeah. Okay. they're, they're still yeah. doing it and it's mm -hmm. manageable for me. Yeah. Um, that answers a lot of the questions I Absolutely. had. Absolutely. 
Well, you know, and what I was thinking about when you were talking there, Kurt, was I taught DP design tech as well. I don't know if you've taught that or, or not, but no, no. one of the things that changed in this last subject guide, uh, the last syllabus that was sent out was that the students didn't have to actually make anything. They had to get everything ready. They had to design it. They had to have everything ready for someone else to make it. What's nice about that is that actually is a nice workflow because in most cases, if a student does become a designer, they're not going to necessarily be a producer right. of that design. Right. And so right. Right. actually it's great that that's great for C1. They have to be able to explain to you how you're going to make it, you know, and, and all of that. And so I actually think that's a really practical way to do that. So you have the Reagan stamp of approval on that one. <laughs> oh, that's, <laughs> that's one we've been looking for. That's for the one you've been waiting uh, for, right? <laughs> yeah. Is there, wow. is there, a, is there a logo for that? You know, you know I was, while you guys were talking, I was thinking about, you know, all the people that are out there creating and designing respirators, you know, from, oh my Oh, right. standpoint. And, and most, you know, a few cases, there's somebody making one, you know, from parts and pieces. But in other cases, I just heard a, a discussion on another podcast. In fact, it was on the, the Daily, the New York Times mm -hmm. Daily podcast. They were talking about the fact that there was a movement to make a simple respirator that fell apart when the company willing to do it got bought out. And they were, the whole point was to have a big batch of inexpensive, easy to transport respirators mm -hmm. that fell out. Otherwise, you know, if that had succeeded five years ago, four mm -hmm. or five years ago when it was in the works, mm -hmm. um, we would be sitting on top of thousands and thousands more respirators, but mm -hmm. that did not happen. Yeah, I, I've seen two different news stories about doctors designing respirators that are made from just the hand pump version, mm -hmm. like the ER that fits over the mm -hmm. mouth, mm -hmm. and then you'd have to squeeze it. Well, you can't physically squeeze a bag mm -hmm. nonstop for three right. weeks. So they showed very simple mechanics of yeah, they had a little motors that asymmetrical thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think I saw and, a physical push on each one just kind of going yeah. around a, a little rotor. There's been a, a group from MIT work on one, and then there's a, an ER doc here actually in the Minneapolis area that I saw come up with this. Now, the interesting thing is will be to see if any of these come to fruition. You, know, you hear on the news all these the ventilators cost between twenty-five and $40,000 a piece. And these guys were making them for like a thousand yeah. bucks in parts. It'll be interesting to see if these big companies actually produce enough. And if not, how could they produce them much faster and much cheaper and still have a short-term ventilator that works long enough for somebody to stay alive? I mean, we're going to have a heck of a stockpile of $25,000 yeah. ventilators that yep. are sitting around. So, Yeah, but I think those $25,000 ones are designed for long life. Right. Oh, and, yeah, oh, the idea yeah, but, being that a much cheaper one could last, you know, help two or three people and then be recycled for parts or, or whatever. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I know exactly. I was thinking of that scene in the Apollo movie, oh, yeah. you oh, right. know, yeah. where he, where they were, where they <laughs> the were classic all trying science to, project. Yeah. yeah. Well, they had the classic mm -hmm. deal. And it, it made me think, I was really thinking about that even today as how we may have to find ourselves in a situation where we're trying to make things have second and third lives to become right. these mm -hmm. artificial lungs for people. Yeah was just a thought I had. It's funny you brought up that because it's definitely, definitely something that's going to have to be. And it's not like something else isn't going to come along at some point where we're going to need those again too. Oh yeah. Something yeah. We need to be pulled up for that. I know it's, it's pretty sad. The lesson learned, I think you mm. know, for at least a generation, they're going to remember that they need this stuff. It'll fade like the 1918 one it, did, but yeah. um, you know, it's certainly, it'll be in everyone's memory. This will be one of the most uh, memorable moments, I think, in most people's life oh, today. So um, an interesting thought, uh, this idea of building 
doing these things cheaper, it, it seems to me that this goes into the like the career related program, this CP <laughs> project. You know, think about you need to you need to investigate an ethical issue mm-hmm. surrounding a area of work. Boy, this is really a lesson in that having these things ready, building them, making them. My wife is one of thousands of people around the the world and around the country, in particular here, that are mm-hmm. are busy making face masks all day. Yep. You know, she's. Yep already put out over a hundred, I think. And wow. And continues to do that. And that's, mm. people are choosing to do this because other things didn't get done. You know, necessity being the mother of all invention. Right. And, and, and so just that, that now we're having to really focus. It makes you, it does make you, I mean, we, we had this thing going on months before it was really hitting the right. kind of the North American side of things. So we were already dealing with how do we do this? What do we do? And you know, South Korea was having these drive-through checkpoints, right. you know, and seen the videos. And, yeah. Oh, I mean, everyone thought, oh, that's crazy. But now it's become the model. They were really innovative with a lot of the things that they've done. We just found out yesterday that we're going to be online indefinitely. So they're, they've, they've said, look, we're not going to open any public schools until we've had one week of no cases, wow. you know, and they have all these things in line and also that the parents and teachers have to agree they're okay to go back. It's really, and and they're giving every student who doesn't have a laptop, they're just giving them laptop. And so Korea being so connected, I'm outside and driving and I have Wi-Fi connection, like it's out everywhere and it's 5G. Mm-hmm. We've had 5G for a very long time and it's neat to see that they're coming together and they're providing this and it just within a drop of a hat, they were just boom, everyone had what they needed. And so, yeah, they're going to roll it out and that's kind of how it's going. But they came yeah. together in the same thing with the, the ventilators, you know. And well, let's let's hear from you, Jason. What are some of the things <laughs> that have been working for you guys remotely yeah. since you've had this longer experience and you yeah. know that this is kind of the uh, the mo for the foreseeable future? Heard, I'm in the same boat you were, man. We were like, we we don't want to redo you know, we don't want to, we want to work smarter, not harder, right? We want to make sure Absolutely. that what we're doing is, is, is useful. And one of the things we found, number one, just in distance learning in general was you stick with what you know, you know, so you're talking about using the phone and video and having this and that. Don't introduce anything new if you can help it. That was probably the biggest thing. When it came to the design projects, we were actually doing all physical projects. <laughs> we had all these product design things because our first unit in the year was all digital, right? We've had to retool it. And so we were already talking about it because we were pretty sure we were going to have our timeline pushed back again. And so what we've done is the students were in the process of getting to Criterion C where they're going to be making things. And so what we've done is we've given them the option that if they feel like they can make it at home, you know, if they've got the materials and things and they want to give it a shot, gets them off the screen, gives them a chance to do something physical. If not, what they'll do is they'll treat it as if they've created a a prototype or a concept for something and they have to be able to sell it to us. And so it becomes then a digital product. That's easier for us to mark and grade and to give Mm -hmm. feedback on. But I can also have them take pictures and video and all that kind of stuff. So that's sort of where we are. We do have a lot of students who have like their own personal 3D printers and things like that. So actually this is not too much of a stretch to ask them to make their own things, but we wanted to give them options. And so we have moved to a a choice board type situation where the mm, students yeah. have choice and how they're going to produce that. So right. that's what we I've just heard that's felt been we a, had yeah. to do. <laughs> yeah, that's been a that's uh, been a theme in the interviews that I've done with people about yeah. this online learning is that choice is clearly a, a mm. theme that give them options for how to show what they know. I like that idea. I've seen some choice board ideas mm-hmm. for different subject areas online. Yeah, I, I think I would probably move to something like that if mm-hmm. this was going to be longer term. And I really like the idea of the different ways that they can demonstrate their ideas, even if they didn't mm-hmm. all make the same 
thing. Prototypes out of cardboard and paper or even sketches go a long way to promote the thinking. So I personally am really relieved that I can rely on a structure like the MYP design cycle. Absolutely. Man, that's like proving itself to be the backbone once again mm-hmm. of a subject area that you can connect with. And I know other subject areas have different standards and mm-hmm. things of that nature, but I don't know where I'd be without those design cycle objectives and all those strands and well that, yeah that's what i was going to get to is that maybe you guys could talk a little bit about i mean just think what how, how awesome it is to have the the ib criteria <clears throat> and criterion reference assessments because when you say grading if you're not using ib grading if you're trying to somehow mm-hmm. get percentages or whatever you yeah, know the ib grading has got the criterion and you just say hey you know this is this is perfectly matched to this moment i think i couldn't agree more john that just the holistic nature of of the rubrics themselves lend themselves very well to innovative mm-hmm. thinking about how to assess any one student's piece of work. And I think that is going to be a critical piece to make grading work in this environment. Students are going to need feedback. And Jason, you've been mm-hmm. doing this for seven plus weeks. Mm-hmm. It's not like if we continue <laughs> with this, yeah. you can't just not give students feedback. Mm-hmm. And it has to be meaningful feedback. Mm-hmm. So you can't mm-hmm. just say, good job, star, smiley face. Mm -hmm. I mean, it has to be something of relevant substance. Mm -hmm. And I think the MYP criteria do a fantastic job of doing that. In my school system, there hasn't been a statement of how we're going to assess students because quite honestly, the two junior highs in my district are MYP, but Mm -hmm. design is the only subject area that has fully integrated the assessment piece. Even other subject areas in my own school aren't all uh, to the same point that uh, myself and my design Mm -hmm. colleagues are. Even though I say it could work for me, I I know where everybody else is. And this whole idea of points and percentages is a bigger challenge than I think people realize with how to give feedback to students. So hopefully this will be an incentive for people to reevaluate how they assess students. And even if they're not an MYP school or an IB school, holistic grading practices in general, I think will lend themselves very well to Mm -hmm. giving feedback to students in this, this type of scenario. We actually had just taken in. So what we do is we, we, you know, we have intermittent deadlines for each criteria. We give formative feedback that's written to our students and then they resubmit at the very end of the project. That's how that works. There's no grade, no number until the end. Mm-hmm. They can tell by my comments what band mm-hmm. they would be in. That's what we do. Is And so luckily we were in the process of doing that anyway. And you're right. I don't know what I would what kind of situation I would be in if I wasn't in where we could do, you know, rubrics and be criterion based. I, I don't know how I would be handling that right now. That'd be a lot of busy work, I'm sure, which is, I think, probably what's happening. We've been really lucky that that's luckily how we do it. And the students understand, they already knew the process, which was great. We'd already been through it. And so this is not new. We just say, okay, keep doing this. We're doing this. Remember, it's for feedback and that kind of thing. So it's been, it's been less stressful to them knowing that and you know really design is one of the only subjects where that that flow works like that as opposed to some of the other subjects where it's up you kind of start stop i guess you could say it'll be a challenge i'll just have to wait and see i mm-hmm. think we'll continue to do what we mm-hmm. do i'm just more concerned for my colleagues and when i read all these different facebook posts on different groups we're mm-hmm. on and i see what some districts are telling 
teachers have to do for grading or the mm -hmm. amount of time, mm -hmm. everything yeah. under the sun is, is yeah. out there. And it's pretty incredible what range of differences there are. Like I just was reading one this morning about the district had told this group of teachers that uh, even for middle school kids, they had to be online five hours a day. It's exhausting. Five hours a day. It's exhausting. <laughs> and I'm telling you. How can you stare at a screen for five hours? I mean, well, and that's assuming that they can shoot, you know, if they don't have any siblings. I mean, how does that, right. you know, how does that yeah. happen? Yeah, we, we had a day, uh, we have a day, it's regular for us to have four Zoom meetings going on at the exact same time in our apartment because my wife teaches PYP and she's doing a teaching thing. I'm doing something with colleagues or whatever. And both of my, yeah. my boys who are in the PYP are having Zoom meetings. And thank goodness we have the band with for that <laughs> you know yeah, thank right. goodness yeah. we all have a device but yeah. um, so i can't imagine what that would be like in a place that doesn't have as good a you know wi-fi or whatever else yeah. well it just breeds inequality we already unfortunately in minnesota have a huge achievement gap between different demographics of mm -hmm. students and actions like this on school districts parts is just promoting the widening of that gap those that have things will be engaged and those that mm -hmm. don't will just fall further behind so that's one of the main reasons i'm not doing much of any synchronous mm -hmm. where they have to be on with me at a certain time it's just not equitable uh one of the things i was jason in your podcast i was listening to a recent episode <laughs> where you talked about you know we've heard kurt mention facebook quite often mm -hmm. in facebook mm -hmm. groups and that is kind of what we're seeing and i think if i recall mm -hmm. a summary of one of your podcasts was the idea that older teachers in particular uh, we'll use Facebook as a way to share this information, but younger teachers will tend to use Instagram or some others. Do you want to summarize a little bit what we learned in that yeah. podcast? Thanks, John. Yeah, that was last week, and I had three guys on. They were talking about how important it is for teachers to have an online presence, especially professionally. In the international school game, at least, and I'm sure it's true in the public school or you know in the state school system, but having a really strong professional presence can help you land your next job. It can help you create networks it can you know it keeps people connected and so what we were talking about was all three of the guys that were there have had to have really massive followings on YouTube some of them also do other stuff but we just kept talking and Facebook never came up and I brought up that, yeah. you know there's all these huge groups that have kind of cropped up during this time the idea being that actually yeah it's very generational in a sense there are certain groups that are using certain technologies or certain social technologies, I guess you'd right. say, you know, because they're used to Facebook because they're posting kids of the grand, you know, pictures of the grandkids or, or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so it's very comfortable for them to, to know how that flow works, how the feed looks, all those things. So to jump into Twitter is scary with the hashtags and the at the ampersands and all these things, what's mm -hmm. happening to me? I don't know. You know, so um, it's, it's interesting to hear what their take was. And, and I would say, especially during this time of crisis, people lean on the things they're comfortable doing. It's neat to see these teachers who are who probably wouldn't even dabble professionally in social media who are doing that as a survival technique. Our big discussion all along and all the podcasts that I've had since this has happened and everything is that everyone keeps coming back to, we really hope this is going to change teaching for the better forever. You know, this yeah. idea that... I've been doing a flipped classroom, I'm sure you guys have for years. Uh, what's happening is it's forcing everyone to practice those things. And I don't see that ever going away. I only, you know, I only see Zoom and I only see all these other things becoming the norm. You know, even mm -hmm. once we're back in school and things are kind of, what's wrong with having a, an asynchronous 
video yeah. that the students watch before class or as a way to support their learning. And so, but the right. Facebook, that's what, yeah, that's what we were talking about was this, this idea that we, you know, weren't really using Facebook other than for personal stuff, but now all of a sudden it was this real growth yeah. in that area. Yeah. And I will say, you know, my own opinion about that is that, you know, Facebook is fine. Um, you know, <laughs> but, but right now, in fact, there's a movement in the diploma coordinators, Facebook group. The issue is actually that there were three groups, you know, so people were posting in three places and they're moving That's to right. consolidate under one umbrella at yeah. the moment, but mm -hmm. just in general, Facebook, while it's comfortable, mm -hmm. it's fairly cumbersome. And there's mm -hmm. a lot of, you know, I've seen, more negative comments and kind of uh, complaints about things. And not that you shouldn't be able to, you know, spout out when there's something yeah. that you need to talk about, but I find Twitter to be much more uh, nimble and much mm -hmm. more, um, you know, I can direct my feed to the people that I know are going to give me better information. Right. That's how I found you originally and how, <laughs> That's right. yeah. how we found most of many of my guests. And, yeah. and uh, when I just love, I get up really early in the morning and get the coffee going and, and I just open up the Twitter first That's right. and just click on all the bells, you know, mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. what, what's new here, what's coming up and who's right. tagged us and, That's right. and so on. And that's how I kind of see it. And I, I really mm -hmm. recommend that, that folks that are listening, if you're not doing Twitter, I really mm -hmm. think that's probably the most nimble. And I think you can, you know, essentially you edit your own content. So you just say, yeah. Hey, this is what I want coming in rather than that's take right. every complaint that comes through. Yeah. And there's not going to be three but, groups, three of the same groups on Twitter, right? They're going to all right. fall right. on that same hashtag or whatever. And that's right. It's much more, I feel like it, now that I've used it enough, I feel like it's easier to organize the content versus it being in five or six different places. Mm -hmm. Hey everybody, we'll be right back to the rest of the podcast after this. This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. You can find out more at teachbetter.com slash podcast. Now let's get back to the episode. And if we pivot, I want to talk while we have, uh, we're kind of co-presenting this podcast. I want to pivot yes, to sir. talking a little bit about the podcast and okay. and uh, the podcast, if you don't mind. And Kurt, you've been on a couple. So if you want to stay listening yeah. in, if you've got Absolutely. time, great. <laughs> um, so why don't you talk a little bit mm. about, you've had a longer journey with podcasting, yeah. Jason. Why don't you talk a little mm. bit about what, you know, how you started and, and mm. what you envisioned the purpose and maybe how that's evolved. We were talking before we started that in 2016, I was the NYP lead educator for design, working with the curriculum managers in The Hague for continual shift of the current mm. NYP design guide. There were a lot of folks mm. who were using it prior to that, uh, prior to the next chapter who weren't happy with a lot of the changes. And so they needed someone to have a lot of content knowledge and a lot of experience to be a buffer between the managers and everything that's going on. One of the things that happened during that time was one of my charges was to create content for the teacher support material that was on the OCC at the time and then transferred over yeah. to the, you know, the program resource center. The other was just to be a liaison between what's happening in schools and what the folks in the Hague and the IB offices were hearing. I kept keeping a document with all these questions that kept coming up. And over time, I started to see trends and the kinds of questions that were coming up. What I did was I thought, you know, what's the best way to answer these questions other than let's just start a podcast and let's just have, and I consulted a few of my friends and colleagues around the world who are usually using uh, social media and different things. And we talked about formats and stuff and it came out of that. Let's do 
a, you know, an episode just about criterion A or just about criterion B. Mm-hmm. And let's start there and then let's just kind of let, see where it goes. And so it was tough going because I am doing this as while I'm teaching full time and while I have a family and all these things. So the first uh, four or five episodes took a while to roll mm-hmm. out. And yeah. then um, over time, people would come up to me at regional workshops and say, I listen to your podcast. I'm like, oh my, really? <laughs> I didn't know people were listening to it. So I uh, hope it was useful. The more and more that happened, the more I thought there's a real need for this. I'm sure you found that yeah. as well, you know, yeah. and, and how this all yeah. started for you guys. That's where it started. And then when this distance learning thing happened, I had all this, not extra time, but I had concentrated amounts of time where I wasn't being interrupted constantly throughout the day by class changes and different things. You know? And I actually mm-hmm. had control over my time. You know what I mean? And so it made sense for me to start. And also one of the guests I had on last week, he runs, we have these Google educator groups. I'm sure, I don't know if you've heard Mm -hmm. about them, the the gags around and, and I'm, I'm one of the captains in one of those. And they do these live streams once a week and they just get a bunch of people together. And that's where this kind of got started. And after being on one of those, I thought this is a great way to add more content for the podcast. And so instead of doing it about Google, I started pulling in folks to talk about, okay, how are you handling the distance learning? Okay, how do we do, how would you teach drones in school? And, you know, just different things. And so I now mm-hmm. have this massive list of ideas. I stayed up one night because I just couldn't sleep because <laughs> I was so excited about all these different things that could happen. And so at the moment, my goal is to produce a, a podcast a week and then mm-hmm. to kind of just continue to build that content. I switched hosts. Um, I was using a, you know, a little bit more of a mom and pop host. And now I've moved to a lot shorter, uh, a, a little bit larger host. Yeah. What's uh, your host now? I'm using Anchor now. Anchor, okay. Uh, and I, and I use Buzzsprout. Okay. Yeah, I was using um, Podomatic before that. And it was good. I like the mm-hmm. analytics and everything in it. But I'm finding Anchor is a fair bit easier to distribute. And I get, yeah. I'm get i starting to see that the analytics are more authentic versus okay. every time someone clicks on the page. Yeah. <laughs> it's actually listeners, not every time the page reloads kind of thing. Right. So it's yeah. just, you know, I and I like, I like the feedback I'm getting from there. I do like the ease in which it is to, it was kind of a pain to upload and the other one, finding all of the technical things are much easier with this one. Does that help a little bit on kind of how we got yeah, started? Yeah, no, that's, and, that's really yeah. cool. Yeah, that, that's good. And yeah, and so so I'll just talk a little yeah, bit about please do. our podcast. The, with And by the way, for listeners, I'll have in our podcast notes, I'll definitely put links to Jason's podcast. In fact, Thank I'll you. use his I'll use his art in this podcast uh, <laughs> displayed so so people will know where to look for design. Where to look. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely my, my goal here is to make sure we kind of cross-pollinate here. Yes, sir. Um, yeah. So with mine and Kurt knows the story because he's on the board, but I came to the board at a meeting uh, about a little over a year, about a year ago now, actually, because I had been thinking about this for a while. And one of our goals in Minnesota, if folks aren't familiar with the, the geographical nature of Minnesota. We have a large central urban area with Minneapolis, St. Paul, known mm-hmm. as the Twin Cities, where about, uh, is it 75% of the population lives? Yeah, yeah, yeah something like that. Yeah, that's called, that's the urban core of Minnesota, so to speak. But Minnesota is a very large state. The folks that live in what many would call rural Minnesota like to call themselves greater Minnesota. And so <laughs> if you're talking to people from outside the cities, we consider that greater Minnesota. And we've been trying to get more IB schools in greater Minnesota. Right now, we out of mm-hmm. our 65 schools, only about five are not in the metro area. And one of my goals as the director of the association was mm-hmm. to say, let's get more schools. So we joined the Minnesota Rural Educators Association and have uh, Kurt and I presented uh, there and and visited there and, and started trying to build 
connections with people there. And as a result of that, I ended up traveling, you know, several times to greater Minnesota. And I'd sit in a room with some stakeholders for a school district or a school that were thinking about it. And I'd have an hour long conversation, leave them with some brochures. And I felt like there was really a lack of follow-up communication. So I started the podcast with the idea that I would have this, this podcast is not meant to be timely for the most part, except for mm-hmm. right now. Mm-hmm. The COVID-19 thing, <laughs> uh, a lot of things we're talking about are timely, but mm-hmm. there also is we're finding to be mm-hmm. ongoing, hopefully. But but anyway, the, the point was to make a repository so that people that were interested in IB, wherever they were in Minnesota, I was originally thinking, could go to this podcast and say, oh, let me hear more about the PYP, more about the mm-hmm. NYP, the mm-hmm. CP. So my first several podcasts were kind of introductions to the programs. As it's evolved and as I've looked at the audience, it's gone way beyond that. Uh, I do occasionally get someone from greater Minnesota, you know, tuning in for the purpose of I intended, but that turns out right. not to be as it's evolved. <laughs> For me, it's really been an interesting way mm-hmm. to stay engaged in the pedagogy because as a retired educator, I'm not always, don't have a lot of incentive necessarily to keep reading and sure. keep up with things. And it's been good for, for me personally. And I think, you know, the feedback I've gotten from people all around is that they want to share. There's a lot of people that want to tell their story. And that's mm-hmm. kind of what I've been hopefully a pipeline to do. Totally agree with that, John. It is interesting to reflect back on the evolution of what our original idea was and how what's changed to what it is today, which I think is great. I mean, but when I think about like what niche of people listen to a podcast like this, I think we're probably a little on the naive side. And when we begin <laughs> to think, oh, it's yeah. just going to be Minnesota because people tune into podcasts, obviously mm-hmm. from all around the world. Mm-hmm. And, and John, you can attest to this with how many listeners we've had in other parts of the world that have contacted you. The India example is mm-hmm. coming to my mind. Like one of the early connections we made was with a coordinator in India. Our number one listenership was this area in India for a while. It's like, didn't mm-hmm. see that coming. So I've you don't really taken, know where yeah. it's going to go. I've actually <laughs> taken to releasing, if I'm, if I'm speaking to someone in India, I'll release it in the morning and there. Rather yeah, than yeah. what it's convenient for me. I'll just set it mm-hmm. set it up to be released. And it's fun when I get up in the morning here in Minnesota and I go, oh yeah, they're, oh, the, they're listening. 70%, 70% <laughs> of the listens so far yeah. have been yeah. in Asia. Yeah. And then sure enough, during the day, I see it grow up uh, in mm-hmm. North America, but it's cool to, mm-hmm. to be global and, and in working with IB, of course, it's it's actually absolutely a natural. So that's kind of how it's worked for us. And I don't know, have you, have you got one of the things I talked to you before we started mm-hmm. the recording here, Jason, is I was really intrigued by, you know, you mentioned how you started with the uh, Criterion A, B, C, mm-hmm. and D mm-hmm. for design. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And as I was riding my bike yesterday, listening to A, I thought, <laughs> you know, this is something we should yeah. do, you know, yeah. in all the subjects. So I'm actually, I think I'm going to put mm-hmm. a call out there for people in different subject areas to if they want to host or be the co-host mm-hmm. with and lead the discussion on each of these because then that would kind of go back to my original thought of a repository of information mm-hmm. because people could be using it in PD in different ways and so if a coordinator anywhere in the world wants to say hey you know if you're if you're doing um, let's say you're doing science science NYP mm-hmm. science let's mm-hmm. you know go listen to that podcast on C and and go from there we'll talk after that was the original you know and we actually were even we had a I had a core group of guys in my fir- very first episode who I worked with who we made a brainstorm and we started talking about you know we can talk about the des- design specification for 30 minutes you know mm-hmm. we can talk yeah. about like all these different components of the program because yep. that's 
that's what was coming up in workshops. Every workshop I led, that was the kind of stuff people were asking for was how do we, you know, how do I do this? How do I do that? And um, I think so many people were thirsty for just something, you know, and whether it was good or bad or ugly, it was something. And I think that uh, it would be great Mm -hmm. if that kind of model was replicated, not Mm -hmm. only for NYP though. I mean, you could get into having educators talk about their program of inquiry and talk about how that's constructed. And you could talk all about ATLs and even learner profile and just all kinds of things and how you do that, because I've yet to see the best ATL chart anywhere. (laughs) You know, you guys do visits as well. And every time they ask me about the ATL chart, I'm like, well, if you've got a good one, show it to me because that's what I'd like to see, (laughs) you know? And so (laughs) when you have one, tell me. One of the other uh, ideas that's coming to mind as we're talking here is breaking down the new standards and practices. Oh, I know at our gosh. last association meeting, we just did, uh, John and I did a little introduction. Mm. As IBAN members, we had got that little upskilling. Oh, yeah. I know it. So we just took parts of, <laughs> yeah. we just took yeah. parts of that and got, kind yeah, of rolled it out triangle, as an yeah. introduction. Oh yeah, the but triangle. But thinking about how podcasts <laughs> could, uh, right, how podcasts could lean yeah. into that. You know, we yep. could just break down, we could do overview, we could sure. break each one down. Folks really at like the IB idea. offices are really accessible. So, I mean, it's just a matter of knowing who to talk yeah. to. Mm-hmm. And you can get people to get on these things and they do Zoom all the time. It would be nothing for you to have a Zoom conversation yep. with someone in The Hague or someone in Cardiff or someone in Singapore and get some information. Absolutely. And just and they would actually probably like the change of the pace, you know, and then mm-hmm. something different that day. And, and so, I mean, I, I think that there's a real thirst and a real need for this kind of guidance out there. I think the only thing that IB would be hesitant on would be that you don't want to give away things that they would be sharing in one of their PD opportunities. But at the same time, you know, good teaching is good teaching, you know, and talking about good teaching, we do that all day long. You know, that nobody owns that. Well, and, I, and I think our, I think our out on that, as far mm. as the officialdom of our podcast is that it's not official and it's That's also, right. <laughs> you know, we don't, we don't expect, we don't expect to go on for, That's you know, right. 15 hours of training on a no. podcast. It's really more of a right. teaser no, and maybe, no. you know, hit the bullet point. Yeah. Right. Please know. Exactly <laughs> please right. know. Um, actually, as we're recording, as, as we're recording, this is becoming my longest podcast ever. Ever. So it's easy for things I mean, just to roll, to break man. It down. Yeah. 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 And well, the conversation yeah. is easy with you guys yeah. and I think, I think the, the, the stuff we're talking mm. about, but I, you know, I'll even make a call out now on the air, so to speak, mm. that, you know, if you are listening to this and you have that knowledge, or if you're in Cardiff or Budapest, and you want to talk to us about uh, any mm. of these things that we just talked about, we would love to yeah. kind of start a conversation and keep going. Mm. I know Kurt and I have a, a sliding appointment to, to have that, do that podcast on the new uh, <laughs> principles. And so yeah. uh, he and I did that presentation. So we already kind of have it sure. ready. And in fact, the version we yeah. did for our minister. Minnesota Association was kind of the right length even for oh, yeah. us to just kind of put it out there as a teaser for people to, to acquaint themselves. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And if yeah. there's teachers, teachers uh, listening, John, maybe, mm. you know, that have a real strong passion to one of the criteria in their subject area, that could also be a good call to get in touch with us to do a, a segment on a particular criteria in a subject mm-hmm. area to borrow off of Jason's idea. As, as I referenced, this yes. is, this is uh, long it's, for it's us. It's going a, a little long in the tooth. No. Yeah, <laughs> that's all right. Yeah, yeah. And so uh, let me just, we'll kind of wrap yeah. it up here. But, yeah. uh, and, you know, it's after 11 at night to, where Jason is. So yeah, we got to let him get some rest for, for work tomorrow. Um, yes, sir. Kurt and I are just starting our days. But yep. uh, I want to just say thank you to both of you for, for being on. And I look yeah. forward to uh, continued collaboration <laughs> and uh, wish you the best, Jason, yeah. with your podcast. And, and, you know, 
you are the experienced veteran that I'm going to be trying to follow <laughs> in your footsteps. And, and, uh, you know, as, as uh, you know, there, I'll just change the saying, you know, you've heard the saying for years, I've got a face for radio. I have a face for podcasting. <laughs> yes, and sir. so I will I'm not be favorite. going, I will not be going video, <laughs> but um, we'll keep it there. See, I'm yes, even, sir. if you're watching Jason's video, I'm hiding behind my mic. So there no you one go. knows. <laughs> Thanks to both of you again, yeah. and, and I appreciate you taking the time out to talk about these important issues in this time, and, mm -hmm. and I look forward, like I said, to talking more.